Hey everybody, welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and today I'll be talking about Malcolm McLaren. Opportunist, exploiter, genius, audacious provocateur, impresario, visionary, and clever chops. It's been said that God is in the math, but the devil is in the details. This is a case of giving the devil his due. The 1977 entry in Wikipedia for October 27th says, British punk band Sex Pistols released Nevermind the Bullocks. Here's the Sex Pistols on the Virgin Records label. Despite refusal by major UK retailers to stock it, it debuts at number one on the UK album charts the week after its release. In a promotional stunt, the group perform on a boat on the River Thames shortly afterwards, only for the police to wait for them and make several arrests, including that of Malcolm McLaren, the band's manager at this time. Clever chops. Now, from Britannica.com, lowercase the Sex Pistols, British rock group. The Sex Pistols, rock group who created the British punk movement of the late 1970s and who, with the song God Save the Queen, became a symbol of the United Kingdom's social and political turmoil. The original members were vocalist Johnny Rotten, by name of John Lydon, guitarist Steve Jones, drummer Paul Cook, and bassist Glenn Matlock. A later member was bassist Sid Vicious, by name of John Simon Ritchie, and they were thrown together in September 1975 by manager Malcolm McLaren to promote Sex, his London clothing store. The Sex Pistols began mixing 1960s English pop music influences, the small faces the Who, with those of 1970s rock renegades, Iggy and the Stooges, the New York Dolls, in an attempt to strip rock's complexities to the bone. By the summer of 1976, the Sex Pistols had attracted an avid fan base and successfully updated the energies of the 1960s mods for the malignant teenage mood of the 70s. Heavily stylized in their image and music, media savvy and ambitious in their use of lyrics, the Sex Pistols became the leaders of a new teenage movement called Punk by the British press in the autumn of 1976. Their first single, Anarchy in the UK, was both a call to arms and a state-of-the-nation address. When they used profanity on live television in December 1976, the group became a national sensation. Scandalized in the tabloid press, 
The Sex Pistols were dropped by their first record company, EMI, in January 1977. Their next contract with A&M Records was severed after only a few days in March. Signing quickly with Virgin Records, the Sex Pistols released their second single, God Save the Queen, in June 1977 to coincide with Queen Elizabeth II's Silver Jubilee, the 25th anniversary of her ascension to the throne. Although banned by the British media, the single rose rapidly to number two on the charts as Public Enemies number one, the Sex Pistols were subjected to physical violence and harassment. Despite a second top ten record, pretty vacant, the Sex Pistols stalled. Barely able to play in the United Kingdom because of local government bans, they became mired in preparations for a film and the worsening drug use of Rotten's friend Vicious who had replaced Matlock in February 1977. Their bunker mentality is evident in their third top 10 hit, Holidays in the Sun. By the time their album, Never Mind the Bullocks, Here's the Sex Pistols, reached number one in early November, Rotten, Vicious, Jones, and Cook had recorded together for the last time. A short, disastrous U.S. tour precipitated the group's split in January 1978, following their biggest show to date in San Francisco. Attempting to keep the Sex Pistols going with the film project that became the legendary The Great Rock and Roll Swindle, 1980, McLaren issued records with an increasingly uncontrollable Vicious as the vocalist. A cover version of Eddie Cochran's Come On Everybody became the group's best-selling single following Vicious fatal heroin overdose in New York City in February 1979 while out on bail charged with the murder of his girlfriend Nancy Spungen. That same month McLaren was sued by Rotten and the Sex Pistols disappeared into receivership only to be revived some years after the 1986 court case that restored control of the affairs to the group. A reunion tour in 1996 finally allowed the original quartet to play their hit songs in front of supportive audiences, and it was followed by further reunion tours in 2002 to 2003 and 2007 to 2008. This anticlimactic postscript, however, did not lessen the impact of the first four singles and debut album, which shook the foundations of rock music and sent tremors through British society. Another documentary film, The Filth and the Fury, told from the point of view of the artists, was released in 2000. In 2006, the Sex Pistols were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, though they scornfully declined to attend the ceremony. Now, in true New York Times style, the obituary for Malcolm McLaren from 2010 starts with the headline Malcolm McLaren seminal punk figure dies at 64 Malcolm McLaren an impresario recording artist and fashion designer who as manager of the Sex Pistols played a decisive role in creating the British punk movement died on Thursday in Switzerland he was 64 The cause was mesothelioma, a cancer of the linings around organs, said Young Kim, his companion of many years. She said he had been under treatment at a Swiss hospital. 
He lived in Paris and New York. Mr. McLaren, a former art student, found an outlet for his ideas about fashion, music, and social provocation in the inquiet rock and roll scene of London in the early 1970s. Operating from the clothing boutique Sex, which he and the fashion designer Vivienne Westwood ran, he brought together four obscure musicians, called them the Sex Pistols, and provided them with an attitude suited to Britain in decline. Nihilistic rage, expressed at high volume in songs like Anarchy in the UK and the vitriolic anti-anthem God Save the Queen. Mr. McLaren was a keen student of the French situationists who believed in staging absurdist or provocative incidents as a spur to social change. Boy, was he good at it. He arranged for the Sex Pistols to sign their contract with A&M Records outside Buckingham Palace and organized a performance of God Save the Queen on the Thames outside the Houses of Parliament on a boat named the Queen Elizabeth. The police quickly intervened, ratifying the group's incendiary reputation. Until their breakup in January 1978, the Sex Pistols epitomized the look, the sound, and the attitude of British punk. All three came, in large measure, from Mr. McLaren's restless brain. Boy, oh boy, is that the truth. Malcolm Robert Andrew McLaren was born on January 22, 1946, in London, and was raised mostly by a wealthy grandmother. He attended more than a half a dozen art schools. At none of them did things go smoothly. He was expelled from Chiswick Polytechnic, and the Croydon College of Art tried to have him transferred to a mental institution. He terminated his education, such as it was, in 1971 at Goldsmiths College in London, but not before completing a series of paintings titled, I Will Be So Bad. In 1972, Mr. McLaren and Ms. Westwood took over a store on King's Road in Chelsea called Let It Rock and began selling hipster teddy boy fashions. The business was run along unconventional lines. In a 1997 article for The New Yorker, Mr. McLaren recalled, We set out to make an environment where we could truthfully run wild. On most days, the shop did not open until the evening and closed within a few hours. The goal, Mr. McLaren wrote, was to sell nothing at all. Paging Jerry Seinfeld. After the New York Dolls visited the store, renamed Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die, Mr. McLaren followed the group to the United States and became its manager. He dressed the band members in red clothing based on the Soviet flag, placed politically provocative slogans on stage, and presided over their swift demise. Back in London, Mr. McLaren, now at sex, took an interest in a group called The Strand, later The Swankers, three of whose members formed the nucleus of the original Sex Pistols. The group gave its first performance at St. Martin's College in November 6, 1975. Hostile reaction caused the players to leave the stage after two songs and soon emerged as the leaders of the punk scene. Reliably or not, Mr. McLaren explained his strategy for packaging and selling the band in the 1980 film The Great Rock and Roll Swindle, which I must say, if you have not seen, you absolutely must. Anarchy in the UK and God Save the Queen, whose release was timed to coincide with 
Queen Elizabeth II's Silver Jubilee, rose to the upper rungs of the pop charts in Britain, and the group's only album, Never Mind the Bollocks, Here's the Sex Pistols, reached number one in 1977. On the band's first American tour in January 1978, John Lydon, the lead singer known as Johnny Rotten, walked off stage at the Winterland Ballroom in San Francisco and the Sex Pistols dissolved. Mr. McLaren briefly managed Adam and the Ants and then, with several ex-ants, created Bow Wow Wow around a teenage Burmese singer, Annabella. The group recorded the hits Go Wild in the Country and I Want Candy. Through his clothing store, now called World's End, he sold Ant and Bow Wow Wow fashions. He went on to record his own music. His album, Duck Rock, in 1983, a blend of world music and hip-hop, generated the singles Buffalo Gals and Double Dutch. I'm much more of a magician than a musician, he told the Globe and Mail of Toronto in 1985. I steal other people's songs to try to make them better. In 1984, Mr. McLaren released the album Fans, a mixture of opera and urban music, which included the hit single, Madame Butterfly, Walt Starling, 1989, Paris, 1994, and other albums followed. In recent years, his name was linked with film, television, and radio projects. Most of them never realized, although he did help produce the film Fast Food Nation and presented two series for BBC Two Radio, Malcolm McLaren's Musical Map of London and Malcolm McLaren's Life and Times in L.A., he is survived by his son with Ms. Westwood, Joseph Carey, a founder of the lingerie company Agent Provocateur, a brother, Stuart Edwards, and a grandchild. Mr. McLaren spent much of the last 30 years trying to explain punk. I never thought the Sex Pistols would be any good, he told the Times of London last year, but it didn't matter if they were bad. Now, from the Wikipedia entry on Malcolm McLaren. I'm going to cherry-pick some pieces because it's a pretty long entry. As a student, McLaren became politically engaged. In the summer of 1966, he was arrested for attempting to set light to an American flag outside the U.S. Embassy in Grosvenor Square, central London, during a demonstration against the Vietnam War. He was also attracted to the European radical art movement, the Situationists, as previously mentioned, and associated with members of the U.K. wing, King Mob. Both these organizations promoted absurdist and provocative actions as a way of enacting social change. In the spring of 1968, McLaren tried unsuccessfully to travel to Paris to join the demonstrations and, with fellow student Jamie Reed, took part in a student occupation at Croydon. McLaren later grafted some of the movement's ideas into promotions of pop and rock groups. His store, Let It Rock, was patronized by Teddy Boys, and McLaren and Westwood's designs also appeared in such theatrical and cinematic productions as The Rocky Horror Show and That'll Be the Day. So Malcolm McLaren really is responsible for all of that. In spring 1973, new clothing based on 40s and 50s tailoring and a range of leather garments with studs inaugurated a new manifestation at the address under the name Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die. Among commissions were costumes for Ken Russell's film, Mahler. In August 1973, McLaren and Westwood visited New York 
to participate in the National Boutique Fair, where they began an association with the New York Dolls, supplying them with stage wear and joining the glam punk group on tour in the UK and France. In October 1974, McLaren renamed the outlet Sex to reflect a growing preoccupation with fetish wear and provocation. In January 1975, McLaren and Westwood designed red patent leather costumes for the New York Dolls and used a Soviet-style hammer and sickle motif for their stage shows in the U.S. as a provocative means of promoting the band. This ploy was not successful, and the Dolls soon broke up. Dolls guitarist Johnny Thunders blamed McLaren for the band's demise, stating that he was the reason why we broke up, when, in fact... It was Thunders and drummer Jerry Nolan's drug addiction which forced the split. In May 1975, McLaren returned to Britain. Now this is just about my favorite, well, this is one of my favorite aspects of Malcolm McLaren's career. McLaren's 1989 album, Walt Starling, was a funk, disco, voguing-inspired album. Walt Starling incorporated elements of his former albums, that is, spoken verses, string arrangements, and eclectic mixes of genres, but featured such prominent musicians as Bootsy Collins and Jeff Beck with a glitzy, Louisiana-style production aimed at the U.S. market. The single, Walt Starling and Something's Jumping in Your Shirt, became top 20 hits in Europe. A remix of the single, Deep in Vogue, was instrumental in bringing voguing and ball culture to wider public attention, topping the U.S. dance chart in July 1989, some nine months before the global success of Madonna's similarly-themed Vogue, as well as charting in the lower reaches of the U.K. and Australia pop charts. Deep in Vogue is also notable for McLaren's collaboration with Vogue performer Willie Ninja and filmmaker Jenny Livingston, who directed their promotional music video and gave McLaren and remix producers Mark Moore and William Orbit permission to sample audio from the soundtrack of her then-unreleased voguing documentary, Paris is Burning. In 1989, McLaren and composer Yanni arranged the flower duet into a work called Aria on Air. The flower duet theme taken from the French opera Lachme by Leo Delibes, had already been used by composer Howard Blake to accompany British Airways commercials since 1984. However, from 1989, McLaren and Yanni further arranged the flower duet, and it featured in BA's world's favorite airline global advertising campaign of the 1980s and 1990s. McLaren's solo work, particularly from the Duck Rock period, has been sampled by other artists. In 1999, a group called Dope Smugglers had a UK top 20 hit with the track Double Double Dutch, which made extensive use of samples from McLaren's Ridge 7, Mariah Carey's Honey, and its Bad Boys remix sampled Hey DJ. In 2002, Eminem released a track called Without Me, which incorporated Buffalo Gals. In 2007, McLaren's song World's Famous was sampled by R&B singer Amory on the song Some Like It from her album Because I Love It. In 1984, McLaren turned away from record making in favor of theatrical and film production, starting with a musical version of the Fans album to be staged off-Broadway with the impresario Joseph Papp. 
This was to remain in development for three years and involved contributions from the choreographer Tommy Toon. Simultaneously, McLaren worked with various collaborators on a film treatment which mixed the story of Beauty and the Beast with the life of the couturier Christian Dior. Titled Fashion Beast, this was among a slate of productions Malcolm McLaren pitched in Hollywood in the first half of 1985 to such film industry bigwigs as entertainment mogul David Geffen and Geffen's head of production at his company, Linda Obst. In the summer of 1985, McLaren was appointed to the position of production executive at CBS Theatrical Films, the stage and TV arm of CBS Films, working from an office on the CBS lot and living in a house in the hills above the Hollywood Bowl, McLaren focused on fans, the musical, and fashion beasts, for which he commissioned British comic book writer Alan Moore to write a script and developed a raft of properties including heavy metal surfing Nazis about post-apocalyptic turf wars among gangs on California's environmentally damaged beaches, The Rock and Roll Godfather, a biopic of Led Zeppelin's manager Peter Grant, and Wild West, based on the notion of Oscar Wilde discovering the roots of rock and roll during his celebrated 1882 lecture tour of the United States. McLaren gained interest in the latter project and fans the musical from Steven Spielberg, and when CBS Theatrical Films closed at the end of 1985, was employed as an ideas guru at Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment, while continuing to pitch his projects to other studios on a freelance basis. McLaren succeeded in attracting development for funding Fashion Beast from Manhattan nightlife entrepreneur Robert Boykin, and the film was optioned by the newly founded independent production House Avenue Pictures. But after several rewrites, the project faltered, not least when Boykin's health suffered. He died from complications arising from AIDS in 1988. With funds sourced from Sony Music by the rock music entrepreneur Alan McGee, McLaren launched a campaign to stand as an independent candidate in the inaugural elections for the position of Mayor of London in May 2000. With a range of proposals from environmentally sensitive traffic calming to providing public libraries with licenses to serve alcohol, McLaren took to the hustings in protest as the great political swindle of the mainstream parties who are plotting to make London expensive, oppressive, and boring. According to McLaren's campaign manager, the writer-musician Peter Culshaw, the late entry into the mayoral race by the labor politician Ken Livingstone forced McLaren out of the running. Following the end of his personal relationship with Vivienne Westwood in 1980, with whom he has son Joseph Carre, McLaren was romantically involved with Andrea Lintz, who was studying fashion at St. Martin's School of Art. Lintz had been a member of the German pop disco act Chile and went on to become a fashion designer and model. Their relationship ended when McLaren moved to Los Angeles in 1985. In Los Angeles, McLaren became the partner of the model actress Lauren Hutton, and they lived together in Hollywood for a number of years. Malcolm was extraordinary, said Hutton a few months after he died. Irreplaceable. I'll miss him forever. He was a dragon's egg, a rare bird, and one of the great unsung heroes of England. Hutton ended the relationship to deal with her personal issues in the late 1980s, and McLaren was then engaged to fashion agent Eugenia Millian, with whom he lived in Los Angeles and Paris. They worked on a series of projects together. It was at Millian's urging that McLaren recorded his 1994 album, Paris. McLaren 
met young Kim at a party in Paris. She was his girlfriend for the last 12 years of his life. She moved in with him in 2002, and they lived together in Paris and New York. He was diagnosed with peritoneal mesothelioma in 2009 and died of the disease on April 8, 2010, in a hospital in Switzerland. McLaren's last words were said by his son, Joseph Carré, to have been free Leonard Peltier. Tributes poured in from friends, associates, and fans, including John Lydon, who had been at odds with McLaren since the demise of the Sex Pistols. For me, Malk was always entertaining, and I hope you remember that. Above all else, he was an entertainer, and I will miss him, and so should you, he said in a statement as Johnny Rotten. And a coffin sprayed with the slogan, Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die, McLaren's funeral was attended by Westwood, Sex Pistols bandmates Paul Cook and Glenn Matlock, and celebrities such as Bob Geldof, Tracy Emin, and Adam Ant. The funeral was held at one Marleybone, a deconsecrated church in central London. Geldof told Leiden that at that funeral, there was a huge row between Vivian Westwood and Bernie. I mean, the man's dead. What are you people doing? And hearing this, and the way Bob told it, so Irish and brilliant, so full of humor, I really, really felt sorry for Malcolm at that point, that these sods couldn't even let him die in peace. They were out for their own little angles. If you've ever seen the film The Great Rock and Roll Swindle by Julian Temple, you just might marvel at his ingenuity. But if you ever saw the film Sid Nancy by Alex Cox, the portrayal of him might lead you to think of him as being more than an audacious provocateur, a clever chops, maybe a heartless exploiter, or just an atrociously crass, unscrupulous businessman and also referred to in a terribly funny joke sequence in the legendary British comedy, The Young Ones. Malcolm McLaren managed the seminal punk band, The New York Dolls, was approached by Stuart Goddard to manage his band, Adam and the Ants, created Bow Wow Wow, known for I Want Candy and Wild in the Country with Annabella, and from songfacts.com, Boy George got to know Malcolm McLaren, who was managing the group Bow Wow Wow. McLaren cooked up a plan to have George join the band either as a replacement for the lead singer Annabella or as an additional singer. He was going to perform as Lieutenant Lush. The plan fell through and George ended up forming his own band, which became Culture Club. McLaren was a high aptitude learner and a shrewd, crafty showman. He shamelessly and quite cagily promoted the Sex Pistols by making their debut an elite extraordinarily difficult event to attend and created a mystique which, to many critics, far surpassed the musical abilities of the band, which many people will claim was not the point. Well, I happen to have gotten to know Mike Thorne, who was the guy who signed them. He told me that only 50 people were allowed inside the venue, and the impression that everybody outside got created the mystique, because they couldn't get in. He and his longtime girlfriend, the acclaimed international, renowned fashion designer, Vivian Westwood, were proprietors of the clothing boutique Sex. He is attributed with creating the concept of punk rock, although that may well be disputed by members of the New York Dolls, who he managed and promoted. He knew how to take it as far as he possibly could. He took the next move further to its natural progression, and he wrote, performed, and produced Deep in Vogue, featuring Willie Ninja from Paris is Burning with clips from the film and performance in the video from Willie Ninja himself. 
This was released a full nine months before Madonna's Vogue became popular. Malcolm was onto something quite a lot of the time, I must say. He synthesized culture out of thin air, or as I am paraphrasing him, he just stole it to improve on it. He was in touch with the politics, people, and attitudes surrounding him in a tumultuous period of British history and made his reputation stand out singularly and forever changed pop culture. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kitties say, peace out. Thank you.